It's 188 days to Election Day. Have you signed up for Vote by Mail? Robin interviews science educator and poet J.D. Stillwater, and we talk about the challenges and opportunities for indie businesses during the pandemic. All this and more on The Lutzkate. I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. And we have three random facts and the news. <laughs> First random fact. It's Willie Nelson's birthday. He's 87. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Willie Nelson. Nice. And uh, my random fact is that uh, it's almost May. That's not, that's a bonus fact. And, um, <laughs> May is both National Meditation Month and International Masturbation Month. And I figure since um, so many of us are socially isolated and, uh, you know, taking time for ourselves, perhaps this is uh, not a coincidence that we can celebrate <laughs> these two, <laughs> these two things uh, for the entire month of May. Uh-oh. Yes, I'm gonna have to get some batteries. <laughs> there you go. I have been I have been practicing one of these uh, much more than the other. I have to admit. I'm not going to tell you which one, but I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. Um, Maybe and I also, we can combine them. That's actually a really good practice. That, that's a that's a podcast. <laughs> I also want to say that I was uh, watching something about. Uh, the guys that work in the Amazon warehouses and this one man was complaining that people were ordering dildos and he didn't think those were essential items. And I'm thinking like, if you're stuck in a tiny studio apartment in Manhattan and you're all by yourself, a dildo is absolutely an essential item. uh, Yes. No question. (laughs) Random fact. Number three is the temple of Diana Legend has it that Diana's high priest at Nimai, known as the Rex Nemorensis, and please excuse my mangling of all of these Latin words, <laughs> was always an escaped slave who could only obtain the position by defeating his predecessor in a fight to the death. Sir James George Fraser wrote of this sacred grove in the Golden Bough, basing his interpretation on brief remarks in ancient writings, including commentary on the Aeneid. The legend tells of a tree that stood in the center of the grove and it was heavily guarded. No one was allowed to break off its limbs with the exception of a runaway slave who was allowed, if he could, to break off one of the boughs. He was then in turn granted the privilege to engage the Rex Nemorensis, the current king and priest of Diana, in a fight to the death. If the slave prevailed, he became the next king for as long as he could defeat his challengers. However, Joseph Fontenerose criticized Fraser's assumption that a rite of this sort actually occurred at the sanctuary, and no contemporary records exist that support the historical existence of the of the Rex Nemorensis. That it was just, random. That yeah, was it really was, not and it also reminds me of of the mirror universe in Star Trek. Oh yeah, that's how people would get a promotion: is they'd have to kill the captain, and then everybody moves up a rank. Hmm. <laughs> 
So maybe they got it. (laughs) I I still don't understand why a slave would want to break a branch off a tree unless it was firewood. (laughs) Right. So then he would be purposely, purposefully challenging. Right. Yeah. That's what I got from it. Oh, okay. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. Now it's, now it's time for all the news we can handle. Oh boy. The shit that happened this week. Yeah. So what happened this week? Well, we one sort of just business, uh, leftscape business thing that happened is that we moved to a new web host. Yes, we did. And, yeah. and I, I'm hoping that we have all our, the kinks worked out of the move because it was a bit kinky. Yeah. Not in the fun way. <laughs> no, I used it. Uh, there's a plugin for WordPress that will move your site. And it's supposed to be seamless, except it left out a slash in the URL to every single audio file on the site. So if you were looking to try to listen to some stuff and you had broken links over the last week, that's why. Bear with us. And if stuff is still broken, please email us or something because... You know, there's what is it now? Seventy nine posts that yeah, and we want to get it right. So I'm going to yeah. click around and and check on things too this week. And what else happened? Oh, the other thing that happened oh, was that like iTunes all, all the sh- all the shows. <laughs> if you're a subscriber on iTunes, you would have received a complete a download of everything again. You know, because I got this message saying your phone is full, and I'm like, what? What's going <laughs> on? And I looked. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> So sorry about that, everybody. Yeah, we <laughs> up all your disk space. <laughs> right. Oh, that's why we had to move because I had a disk space limit on our old host and we had exceeded it. Mm-hmm. So. so the new host has more space. Has unlimited. Yeah. Unlimited. So oh, now good. we can really, you know, post. It's just better for everybody. And I want to thank our patrons because it really oh, yeah. is uh, the patrons that have helped us be able to afford the move. And that really helps. So we appreciate that. Thank you. Become a patron if you're not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, another news item. We have a, a Schrodinger's dictator on the planet now. Uh, <laughs> Kim Jong-un, who is not quite dead. Although the latest news today was they're saying he's fine. He's alive. He wrote a letter. So who knows? So he's dead, not quite dead. And perfectly happily alive yes he's in he's something he's yep. both at the same time yep okay <laughs> well i guess we'll learn more yes i i think it's interesting and the discussion of that is that his if he was dead that the next person in line is his sister yes so i wonder what she's like they say she's as bad as him that's what I saw. Well, we'll find out. So, ah, what else is happening? Uh, um, news, of course. I guess I could I could introduce this. If you haven't heard the president the other day, and I wish I could be able to say it so you could see the air quotes <laughs> when I say president, he apparently got a a letter or an email from the MMS people down in Florida, that weird thing that they call a church, but it's not a church that, that chlorine bleach is a cure for COVID-19. 
and also ultraviolet light, although I think that was from another source, but he was talking about it and now people are actually drinking bleach. The president was talking about it. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was like he suggested, like, try it. Why not? <laughs> yeah, they call it the MMS stands for Miracle Mineral Supplement. And the mineral supplement is chlorine hydroxide or something, which is basically it's industrial bleach. And they're calling it a mineral supplement and using it as a medical cure and it's bullshit and it will, it will kill you. It's like drinking bleach. You don't, it's not something you do. Are the people down in this church actually doing that? I don't know. They're selling it. It's, you know, they're just selling it. It's mm. a bullshit. It's a it's a bullshit. It's it's you know snake oil. Right, right. And the other thing is, and the thing that he was implying in his briefing really was that hey, it works on surfaces. What if it maybe it could work in your body? You know, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. like because we are surfaces. <laughs> it's it, we're the exact same as like my granite countertop. Right. No. Yeah. So bad idea. We we had a segment a uh, couple shows ago about the uh, you know avoid covidity covid covidiousty. So this is another instance of that for sure. Yeah, I, and and it, the, the sad thing is is we we see reports of emergency rooms all over the country are getting people in there who have actually drank bleach. Oh my god. So. Mm. Don't do it. Don't give it to your kids. Don't give it to your parents. Don't take it. Don't give it to anybody. Bleach is for laundry and cleaning surfaces, and that's all. And also, don't mix it with Windex or no. any other ammonia cleaner because that will that will create chlorine gas. Mm. Chlorine gas is a, is a weapon. It's been weaponized. It was used with mustard gas in World War One mm. to kill people. So that's what happens when you mix chlorine bleach and uh, and windex yes you do so not get a better cleaner you get you get killed things yeah. yes bad, so bad. <laughs> oh man so there's a lot of um reopening happen some some of it is in some places in some countries especially in europe it's a very cautious measured beginning of reopening for places who have been on lockdown for a while and started early and some places in the u.s we've got really pretty haphazard scary reopenings it seems georgia florida yeah texas is texas actually opening or are they just talking about it i don't know i know that in georgia they opened hair salons and bowling alleys and something else tattoo parlors tattoo like, it's yeah. like, massage, like massage parlors massage massage people and it's like those are the kinds of businesses that really should be opening last yeah, that's a very, very close contact kind of thing. It's, I'm really nervous about that that step. Um, but a lot of it they're doing, we figured it out. It's it's their way of avoiding having to pay unemployment benefits to the workers who were unable to work because their their businesses were shut down. That, mm. That's why they're doing that. Yep. Oh, that's, God. And, it's, and, that, and the businesses themselves can't then... You know, they can't collect insurance 
you know, or or if there was an event that had a contract. I mean, this we're going to talk about a lot of this later. Um, so I guess maybe I'll save it for that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. save it for later. But well, yeah, anyway, it, it, yeah, it's a, move, it's a move by the the states to avoid paying out from their coffers. Yeah, you know, and the reopening thing. You you uh, sent me a link to a Vimeo a video about they were doing experiments on the. Uh, on the particles in the air oh, yeah, this morning from Nippon NHK, which is the Jap a Japanese news organization. And one of the things that in that video that they talked about was how you have to open windows yes. to get rid of the particles in the air. I'm still thinking, where does it go to? I know that where I work, where I teach the windows don't open. Right. So that's going to be all over the place. How are they going to get past that? Well, they have to, you know, make sure you're the, the Some air type of ventilation air is circulating better yeah. than it has been. And I also read something else that all of these buildings that have shut down are now the possibility of Legionnaire's disease. Oh my God. All, yeah. Cause it's this, the, the, the error systems have been shut down and they're sitting there and maybe getting mold growing. And that's what Legionnaire's disease is from. And the, the university where I teach one of the classrooms that I had to teach in, it had no windows and the air system, there was no way to control it. And I, it was like an oven in there. And every day I would say, can we get a, a janitor or something to, to get the ventilation going? They never could. They never could. It was hot all semester long. This is the kind of thing where you need to find out the name of the guy in charge of the facilities. Oh, because that's the yeah. department. That yeah. Takes that shit. Mm. Yeah. But still that just goes to this other point that I have to make though, is that the university had about 300 people on the staff who, who did tended the gardens, the buildings did all this stuff. They decided to privatize and hire a service to do that, that replaced, they fired those 300 people and replaced them with 70 people. So there you go. Typical business stuff, mm -hmm. overshadowing mm -hmm. the human stuff. And this happened over during this time period? Like while um, everyone's just, away? Just like, no. Oh, okay. Over, over, it's happened over the past couple of years oh, that, that people yeah. got fired and laid off but right. still there's just no way to get a janitor in there to fix things uh, so anyway with in terms of reopening i feeling like i want to take my time and make my decisions about when i feel like it's comfortable for me to go once you know non-essential things start opening again you know when it yeah. when i feel like it's okay to go to the gym or you go or do especially go to something that's really close contact, like getting your hair done or something, you know? Yeah. It's so. well, I mean, and, and we also, we have the privilege to be able to stay home. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is you a know, privilege for sure. It is. It is. And it's, it's, it didn't seem like that <laughs> before, but yeah, no, there are a lot now. of people who are not able to do that at all or, or just don't have the space. Yeah to socially distance in the and way that least, we can. And, and, you know, for, for me, my monthly gym membership is on hiatus. So they're not like taking money out of my bank account while yep. the gym is closed. But once they open, they're taking the money out, whether I go or not. So yep, same. <laughs> so yeah, so that's going to kind of suck. 
Because I know they're going to reopen before I'm going to feel comfortable going back to the gym. I know that. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to throw out there just a little quick thing that I, I have this past Sunday, I I've delivered 350, my 350th mask. And I've delivered them to family and friends and friends of family and family of friends and neighbors and nursing homes, hospitals, doctors and nurses. And I'm not done yet. So that's great. So the yes. doctors and nurses were able to use them. Yeah, I've seen pictures. Oh, great. <laughs> I've great. seen pictures. And also, well, I mean, one of one of the nurses is our fr our mutual friend and guest on the show, I think, last year, D. Yeah, <laughs> I hope that a doctor or a nurse wouldn't wear the mask that had the skulls and roses on. Well, it. we didn't. <laughs> doctors and nurses. Not available for doctors and nurses. No, I, I'm not doing that. But D D got some for herself, and then like all of the other nurses on her shift, you know, in her unit, they all wanted them. So yeah. I supplied the entire uh, NICU. I think it's in a hospital in Philadelphia. So there, she works at the 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 neonatal intensive care unit and, and uh, she does a lot of uh, deliveries. So all of those nurses have, have my masks and, and what they such a gift. And I really, I really admire that you can do that. I'm, well, I'm really grateful for mine. I'm going to wear mine a lot, but I'm also probably going to order a Devo mask because. Oh, sure. They exist. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that's the other thing. It, it's like, I, I am looking forward to the day when I don't do this anymore, and it's going to be when I run out of elastic, I, I probably have, I probably have elastic for another five hundred masks. Groot will help. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's been long enough now that larger manufacturing clothing companies are going to start turning these things out, and they're going to get branded ones. Like you know, like for example, I'm not going to go buy sports team fabric, but. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they have it, but it's like, I don't want to get stuck with fabric that I don't like. So, which is why it's all cats and, and things, <laughs> superheroes and stuff. And then there's going to be the art quilt based on the leftover fabric and scraps. Yeah. So that's, to commemorate this event in your life. To commemorate, yeah, to commemorate the, the making of the masks. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like I said, I, I would like to, I would like to be able to stop soon. I really blame you. Every time I think it's slowing down, every time I think, oh, maybe I don't have to make so many this week, I I still do, you know. But it's it's like I've I've said to other people, it's in my DNA. Uh, yeah, my yeah. My, my grandfather worked in the garment district, you know. It's like my people, my people yeah. were, were sitting at machines making clothing. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's literally in my genes. So and maybe I'll make some jeans. I don't know. <laughs> What's next? What's our last item? Oh, the last item. I just want to wish everyone happy Beltane who's celebrating yeah. on Friday. I've been giving a little thought about what to even do for Beltane, which is a, it's the, it's this really the beginning of summer in pagan. Yes. Uh, and it's also world. a fertility festival. It's a fertility festival. Yes, absolutely. You know, so it's a, it's really my favorite holiday. Mm. And now it, it will obviously be very different this year. You can't we, go out and bless the fields. Yes, exactly. You can't do that. Or at least I can't. My neighbors would say something. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we usually dance a maypole. And I was thinking maybe I'll 
take the ribbons from last year. We could talk about maybe what we'll do with last year's ribbons or something. At least I could do some act. Maybe a really sad maypole with just one person. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Although that would be kind of funny, actually. That would be or like a, I wonder if there's any around. way we could do maypole on Zoom. I don't know. <laughs> We could do something on Zoom. Anyway, we'll talk about all that. But but I, we just wanted to wish everyone a happy, happy season, happy Beltane season, and happy May 1st, happy May Day, however you celebrate it, uh, oh, coming up this Friday. Yes. Wait. One more thing about May. May 1st is is typically worker labor. It's yes. a labor, labor holiday. May Day, right, exactly. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and there's, a, there's a call for a general strike. Oh, on May Where? 1st this time, everywhere, everywhere. everybody stay home on May 1st. <laughs> okay, I'll stay home. No, even the essential workers. This is like, uh, to you know, because the, the underpaid people who are stocking our, our grocery stores and delivering our stuff, mm. you know, they're not being paid. They're not being protected properly in a lot of cases. And, and, and there are certainly, you know, a lot of them, like, like Amazon is a good example, yeah. uh, actively discouraged from joining a union, for example. And so there's a call to stay home as a general strike. And this year would be a very effective way to do that. So I'm going to look up more about that and get that on our Facebook page. And, you know, we'll we'll definitely talk about it. Yeah. Thank you for that one. Sure. And that's all the news we can handle today. Hi, I'm Jennifer, the publisher of DameMagazine.com, and you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hello. We want to thank you so much for listening to The Leftscape and for being someone out in the world thinking about, talking about, and crafting The Shape of Progressive Conversation. We love creating this show for you, and we hope you find value in the discussions we bring to the table. If you do, please take a moment right now, go to your Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. If you can, make it five stars. Good reviews really help us reach more people engaged in politics and culture like you. Thanks so much for helping us get the word out about the leftscape. Well, I am Robin Renee here on the leftscape, and I'm very, very happy to have JD Stillwater here with me virtually. Uh, J.D. is a science educator, writer, and musician. He is a graduate of Cornell University and a full-time staff member at the Circle School in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. His presentation, Seven Candles, makes science concepts graspable for non-scientists and takes it further into deeper mysteries those concepts engender. And I hear that he's been writing some poetry as well these days and maybe uh, might want to start out with one of those. Sure. Hi, Robin. Hello. Um, this poem is called Tidal Pools, and I, I'm, I'm going to start with it because I think it does a good job of um, sort of being infused with um, idea one, one big idea from science that's important to my worldview, um, and that has to do with the interdependence, the interconnectedness of everything. Um, and it's also appropriate for this time um, because I lost a family member, my aunt, this past Monday to the pandemic. And my daughter, who's a uh, hospital chaplain in Brooklyn, is recovering from it as we speak. I'm really sorry. For that. 
Klaus. Thank you. Uh, I will read this poem. It's not very long, and I will try to make it through without choking up. Tidal pools. Tears, like all prayers, trickle downhill to the sea, where they mingle with salted sorrows of ancient seasons. Each holy drop sanctifies the deep and vice versa. Mutual immersion, a recompense, a communion. Tears, like all prayers, find their way home. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's gotta be really hard to uh, put words to. Well, I wrote that long before the pandemic, um, just as a way of trying to bring together this idea that human beings are all very similar. We're all part of one single human family. And, you know, people have been saying that for centuries, but science now shows us exactly how we are related. We can trace DNA and we can use uh, sort of the consistent mutation rates of our own human DNA to find out how closely related we are. And there are all these genome projects and, and things that are doing that work. Um, and people are getting all these surprises, you know, finding out they're actually not the race that they thought they were, or, you know, their ancestors came from several different continents, not just the one they thought it was. And um, anyway, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> but we're at a time in history when we we can know that we are one human family in a way that before it was just sort of a nice poetic thing to say about our fellow humans from far away. Mm -hmm. So I know a little bit about your Seven Candles presentation. Um, is that a big is that a big part of what it does too? Yes, I, I should probably give a little bit of the history of it. Um, yes. In 2010, 2011, I was working as a science teacher. I have been for many decades now. Um, and I, I noticed throughout the years that there were things that scientists take for granted and that I was teaching my students just as, as part of science um, that have profound implications, not just for how the world works, what meaning we take from it. And so in around 2010, 2011, I became acquainted with the songs of a guy who's now a friend of mine named Peter Mayer. And Peter at the time was writing a lot of, of really great music um, that sort of talked about the implications of science for our worldview. And I, my first thought was, you know, I should put together some kind of talk that so that he could do a concert and I could do a science lecture with it that would, like he would say things in the songs and then I would kind of explain what he was saying. And there's, there's so much spirituality built into his music as well. So anyway, I, I pitched the idea to him and he said, oh no, I just, he lives in Stillwater, Minnesota which is an interesting coincidence with my last name. I was going to say, that's really get it from there? <laughs> it's really pretty far from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where I live. Uh. So um, 
he he said, no, nah, this isn't a good time in my career to to do some kind of collaboration like that. And I was disappointed at first, but then I realized, you know, I could just kind of do this on my own. So I put together a PowerPoint presentation of all these these little things that I had been talking with my students about. I call them revelations. They they really are. They're revelations from science that have a, a big wow factor once you understand them, especially if you think through what are the implications of this. So one, I'm, I'll just mention one. The Newton's formula for calculating the gravitational attraction between any two objects. And I have to back up a little bit. It's not just that the Earth has gravity and we're attracted to the Earth. It's that we and the Earth attract one another. And the Earth has a lot more gravity just because it's so much bigger than we are. Gravity is between any two objects in the universe. Well, Newton's equation for calculating the gravitational force of attraction between two objects um, takes into account the distance between them. As you get further away from the other object, let's just say me and the Earth, as I get further and further away from the Earth, that gravitational attraction gets less and less. But the implication that's obvious from the, the equation itself is that it's never zero. You can be a million light years away and there is still some very small attractive force, gravitational attractive force between my body and the earth. Which means in a sense that everything in the universe, everything that has mass in the universe is attracting everything else in the universe. So when you move just across the room, you change the, the big picture gravitational field of the entire universe when you do that. And similarly, when something changes in a solar system in some galaxy far, far away, <laughs> it changes the gravitational field that you move and operate in. Everything in the universe is connected by the force of gravity. And gravity is just one of those things. <clears throat> you know, and this is something... That equation, Newton's equation, is something discovered in every high school physics course. It's not some kind of mystical thing that only the Einsteins of the world know about. You just have to look at the equation and think it through. Wait a second. That means no matter how far away you are, there's still that silver cord of attraction between you and this distant object. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> is your idea idea to uh, experience the awe of that as a way of um, connecting with like our, I, I think a, a, people think, I, I believe that humans have this desire to feel connection or feel something deep. And a lot of times we do that with religions of various, you know, paths. So is it to replace that or to express, how, how do you talk about that? Certainly not to replace it. Um, uh, it's, I think it's one of the mistakes that many in the scientific community make. Science does not and cannot replace religion. Certainly, there are many people who have no need for any supernatural beliefs, but nothing about science can or probably ever, ever will um, say anything about the supernatural. Science is, by definition, focused on the natural. If it, if it has any kind of influence on the natural universe, then it's within the realm of science to study. But, you know, people, especially during the culture war, people refer to science as inherently atheistic. Well, it's, it's not 
that it denies that there could be a supernatural realm. It just doesn't address it. It, it can't address it. And the vast majority of practicing science scientists on this planet are people who subscribe to to some faith or another, you know, from every religion of the world. Science isn't a religious. Well, it is a religious. It's just not anti-religious. So, yes, to answer your question, um, this is what I'm offering is implications from the revelations from science <laughs> that offer to expand and enrich and deepen our worldview, no matter what faith background we're from, including no faith background. That's cool. And so, what, can you? Oh, go ahead. Just over and over again, there's so many aspects, so many things. For, here's another example. I was going to say, if we could have a little example of the seven somehow, uh, even well, if you don't, or it's that's a long conversation, right? Well, I can I can run through a synopsis of the seven in a minute, but let me give okay. one more sort of example of how this works historically. So, when Galileo was alive, the word heaven literally meant what you see when you look up outdoors. You could see heaven in his day. It wasn't supernatural at all. People believed as a core tenet of, of European Christianity that heaven was what you see when you look up. So the clouds were part of heaven. The sun and the moon and the stars and all the planets were part of heaven. Um, everything you could see up there was the heavens, so to speak. Now, Galileo comes along and he says, well, actually, all those things that we have believed about all of the heavens orbiting the earth, that the heavens pass over us during the day and during the night on a 24-hour cycle, um, that's actually an illusion. Really, the earth is turning and it's orbiting around the sun. Well, that was literally blasphemy because he was making a claim about heaven that stepped on the toes of the religious beliefs of the time. And over the last 500 years since Galileo's time, we've just incorporated this knowledge, the knowledge that the earth turns and it orbits the sun. And we don't even think of it as being anti-religious anymore. We just, we've changed our religious beliefs. So now heaven is a, a supernatural. It's like a, an alternate universe that's nearby, maybe. But it's not what we see when we look up. What we see when we look up, we count as part of the natural universe. Mm. For the first four centuries of experimental science, um, we built a body of knowledge that ever expanded what we count as natural. And one way of thinking about that, which I don't subscribe to, is that that made the supernatural smaller and smaller and smaller. But that's, um, it naturalized it, but it didn't eliminate it. It doesn't, it doesn't shrink it. So what they called the heavens in the 1400s is now a much vaster, grander realm than our ancestors back then could ever have imagined. Now we know that there are galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies, and that space is so much bigger than they thought even heaven was. But all of it was about um, 
gaining a sort of certainty. For the first four centuries, we gained a lot of certainty about how the natural world works, how the natural universe works. But for the last century, we have come to the end of certainty. And now what science is describing about the natural universe shows us more and more about the mystery that lies at the, the foundation, at the very deepest fabric of how this universe is made. We now know that there are things we cannot know. So the universe is no longer a pool table like it was described in the science of Newton's day where you can predict exactly what's gonna happen. Now we know that some subatomic particles like protons, neutrons, and electrons, it's not that we can't know their position and momentum, for example, at the same time. It's that they do not have simultaneously a position and a momentum. They're not little things that move around. They are simultaneously objects and waves, simultaneously nouns and verbs, simultaneously energy and matter. And there are things that we simply cannot ever know about them because those quantities don't even exist. So a big part of what science is revealing about the universe now has to do with certainty and mystery. And that's, that contacts with our worldview tremendously. One of the things that's happening during this pandemic is that human beings crave knowledge. We wanna know what's really going on. And when we can't get that information, we come up with conspiracy theories. Right. Because <laughs> we just have to know. We have to know. You know, it doesn't, when somebody said a few years ago, I heard this quote, when the world doesn't make sense is when we try to force sense upon it by inventing conspiracy theories. Right. And I was thinking about there's such a, an anti-science skepticism backlash right now, too. And I guess that's part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Aspect. We're not comfortable with mystery, but this we happen to live in a universe that is inherently mysterious. Now, that doesn't sound scientific if the only science you know is what you dimly remember from middle school and high school, because the way it's taught in schools, science shows up as a body of knowledge. Here's what we know. Learn this. Memorize it. That's called science. Science is both a noun and a verb. It is a body of knowledge on the one hand, it's what we have learned so far. But the other half of science and the part that makes science exciting for scientists is the unknown. It's the mysterious, the, the questions yet to be answered. And the truth is we will never explain everything. Science is at least half, if not more than half, about reveling in the uncertainty, the ambiguity, the mystery of it all. Right. And, and, and that's, part of, that's part of my point, is trying to get myself and our contemporaries to understand that we need to, to shift our culture from being all about conviction and certainty, and I'm right and you're wrong, and my religion is right and your religion is wrong, because either mine is or yours is to shift all that, to recognize that we live in a universe, a natural reality, which is at its very heart, ambiguous, mysterious, and both and. 
It's not an either or universe. It's a both and universe. And interestingly, from a philosophical standpoint, both and incorporates either or. Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> if you have a both and mindset, then you right. recognize that there are times when either or applies. When you okay. flip a coin, it's going to come up either heads or tails. But the coin flip happens in a context of both and. While it's still in the air, it could be, it sort of is. The future existence of that coin flip is both and. Okay. You see what I mean? Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> so I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the 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 moral implications of these concepts, you know? So once we get the, once we start to learn about the vastness of things and the uncertainty of things, where does that take us in terms of how to live well in the world? Does that, does it talk about that? I don't know. And if you had asked somebody, you know, a generation or two after Galileo, what are the moral implications of the earth going around the sun? He, you know, they, nobody would have known. It takes time for these ideas to sort of percolate through the culture and express themselves. And so I don't know how ultimately that will happen. Um, one way I hope it will happen has to do with ideology. Political ideologies are inherently either or. Mm -hmm. So if you're a communist, um, every problem has a government solution, and you think that, that that's going to be the best way to do it. If you're a libertarian, especially a free market capitalist libertarian, then no matter what the problem is, there's a free market solution, and government solutions are never good. So either it's this or it's that. Um, but if we, if we can get our culture, our internal culture, to a place where we've shifted from dogma to accepting and embracing ambiguity. First of all, there's a humility that comes with that. Yeah, this problem is a little ambiguous. We don't really know what the best solution is going to be, but we're open to possibilities. So that's one, substituting our dog, replacing our dogma with a willingness to really listen to other people. Um, but then also recognizing that each problem has a unique best solution that might involve government intervention of some kind or might involve a free market solution or might involve some mix or might involve something that we haven't thought of yet. But, and that's a both and approach. But ideologies tend to be either or. Um, and the same with science and religion. There are some, some problems. Obviously, a pandemic is one where science is going to have more more to say in the development of a vaccine or the modeling we want to use to figure out what the next intervention should be. But that science is not all that helpful in um, facilitating people through their grief from lost jobs or lost loved ones or um, just the, the disruption that comes with sudden change like a pandemic. So whatever it is that you're talking about, if you, if you approach it with an either or kind of mentality, 
you've boxed yourself in. Whereas if you approach it with a both end mentality, there are a lot more possibilities on the horizon. And if you have the humility to, to really listen to other people and to the opportunities that present themselves, you're more nimble. You can, you can do more. And for those that, that care about what science has to say about the natural universe, it's helpful to me at least to know that science supports that. It supports not only that this is a both-and universe, but also that we are completely interconnected. And who can deny that now? Who now, today, can deny that the details of what happens in a, a small city in central China has everything to do with what happens in my small city in central Pennsylvania. They're interconnected at a level that no one now can say, uh, that, you know, that's them over there. No, it's us, and we're all here, and this is a darn small planet that we live on. What happens to them happens to me. That is truly profound because it's something that I think we've in various points in history have wanted to isolate and, and whether it's America first or that's, the, that's their war or that's our, this is our thing. This is our cult. You know, it's uh, yeah. it kind of goes out the window when you, you have to just deal with basic life stuff as we are now. Yeah. So the four shifts that I'm trying to accomplish with Seven Candles and, and the work that's related to it. The Can you quickly say the Seven Candles? Sure. <laughs> to get it fast? Yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> the, title, <laughs> the title of each chapter of the talk. It's, first of all, Seven Candles is a talk. It's an hour long. It's like a TED talk. I have a lot of slides. They're really colorful. It moves fast. Um, anyhow, the first candle is scale, and that's about the vastness of the natural universe in both space and time. So deep time thinking is part of the, the worldview shift that I'm looking for. Second candle is flow, and that's all about relativity. Even under Newton, Newtonian mechanics, you can't know how fast you're moving right now. You and I are each sitting still on the surface of the earth, but the surface of the earth is not sitting still. At our latitude, it's about the same where we are. It's about 700 miles an hour. Right now, you're moving 700 miles an hour. At the equator, it's 1,000 miles an hour. But that's not all. I'm, oh, I see. I can't do this. I can't give you a quick overview. <laughs> Anyhow, flow is, Bullet points. <laughs> flow is about how there are no anchor points in the universe. Everything is compared to something else. You can't make any absolute statements. And that's a metaphorical statement as well as a, a, a science truth. Third candle, stardust. That covers sort of the deep time origins of everything. We now know in a way that we didn't know even 50 years ago, literally where all this stuff came from. And we know it came from the cores of stars that exploded long ago. Fourth candle, nothing. Fourth candle is about quantum physics, about how when you take things apart, smaller and smaller and smaller, eventually you reach a point where there's literally nothing there. And that's what everything is made of, everything that we would call a thing, including our bodies. Evolution is the fifth candle, and that's about the story of life on this planet. And it emphasizes that unlike the way it's taught in most science courses, which evolution is all about competition, it's not. 
Competition is half the story. Cooperation is the other half of the story. To be a multicellular creature as complex as I am required many stages of cooperation in the evological past, evolutionary past. Sixth candle is emergence about how wholes are greater than the sum of their parts. So if you're talking about a human being, human beings include qualities that you cannot predict if you know everything there is to know about biology. You can know all about how physiology and anatomy work, and you cannot predict poetry. You cannot predict economics. If you go back a few stages, you can take all that you know about hydrogen and oxygen atoms, and it's you cannot predict through the laws of physics the properties of water, like rainbows and waterfalls and that sort of thing. So emergence is about how as systems get more complex, the whole, a new whole that's created is often much more than the sum of its parts. And then the seventh candle is one. And it's all about that interconnectedness from many different branches of science, biology, chemistry, physics, astronomy, cosmology. So scale, flow, stardust, nothing, evolution, emergence, and one. That's great. And it takes about an hour. <laughs> and usually I make sure there's a break in the middle because people's brains are kind of reeling a little bit. It's a lot. It's a lot of information all at once. But again, the, once you have, have experienced this thing, my hope is that you will make a slight shift from dogma to embracing ambiguity, from separation, which is part of our European Western culture, to seeking out and noticing connection, from conviction, especially self-righteous conviction, to embracing mystery and recognizing that nobody has all the answers, from either or to both and. That's the whole thing in a, a rather large nutshell. Yeah, and that I, I appreciate it so much because one of the one of my thoughts behind starting this podcast is to to talk about as much as I, you know, it's called the leftscape. I tend politically to be more in that camp than other camps. And I was seeing a lot of dogma from people I really agree with in many ways. And, um, you know, and, and admire and love often, you know, and it was very, there are just certain points that tend to become sort of um, just, well, dogmas, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. just the standard talking points that I was finding so much challenge with. And I was feeling like maybe I shouldn't even give voice to this because I, I'll get shouted down somewhere, Twitter well, for sure, anywhere many. <laughs> I think you know. that shouting down tells you something right there. Yeah, and so I I really did want to create conversations about these things that are not in my mind as black and white, you know. Yeah. So. One of my mentors in this work is a man named Michael Dowd. He's a New York Times bestseller. Um he wrote, now no, I'm having a brain fart. Uh thank God for evolution, he wrote. Um and he compared people in a, a political system to cells in the body. 
So one of my blood cells might look at one of my bone cells and say, man, you're doing it all wrong. That's just <laughs> wrong. But really, it takes both. And for a, a pretty far left person, that it's, it took me a while to really embrace that I need conservatives. If I want to have a healthy country, I need conservatives. If we did everything that I want to do, it would be too much change, too fast, and it would tear us apart. We need the back and forth. We need the give and take that democracy allows for. And that was all, I, I, I would say that with um, a fair amount of confidence up until about four years ago. <laughs> yeah. We don't well, really. Well, there are limits to everything. Right yeah. Now. We don't really have conservatives anymore, yeah. which, which is really scary to me. You know, I find myself cheering for Mitt Romney and for John McCain before he died and for David Frum, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are people with whom I disagreed vehemently in the past. But now I'm just really grateful that they're around because, uh, yeah, because there, it seems to me, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on, on the Leftscape podcast, but it seems to me that the Republican Party is really lost in a wilderness and our country is suffering because we do not have, um, we no longer have that give and take. It's take, 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 and it's not conservatives that are doing the taking. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a strange cult of personality that isn't doesn't bear any resemblance to the Republican Party of Ronald Reagan, let alone Abe Lincoln. Yeah, you're very much allowed to say that. I think, <laughs> I think it's true, <laughs> and I think it's yeah um, when. Mitt Romney seemed to be a voice of reason in Congress yeah. and was a voice of reason. Um, yeah. That was, yeah, that was a startling moment, but also very real. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have all of the same ideas about how to get to the best place we can be as a country. I, I think there's something about having a heart, mm -hmm. you know, and it was evident that even though we, probably disagree about most other things. Like we were watching a human being who had integrity. That's it. That's it. Integrity, which literally means like um, putting the pieces together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is a wide ranging. I feel like I want to have a three hour show with you. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got to wrap it up a little bit. Um, well, should we do another poem? How much time has gone by? Uh, we've got we're, we've got a few more minutes, but uh, okay. yeah, I would love to do another poem. I guess before you do, bring us out with a poem. Um, just let us know if we can. How can we connect with your work online? Are you doing any Zoom presentations or anything in this weird world? That's a good idea. I've been really busy. I mean, my, my day job is as a school teacher, and um, I teach at a democratic school. So it's not like I have to design lesson plans and put them up online and that sort of thing. But I am staying in touch with my students. And um, it's everything takes longer 
when you're trying to do it online. It's much harder to get uh, in contact with people. I mean, it should be easier because I can email them. I can, but the problem is there are six or seven different channels, and each student has their own favorite. Some people prefer texting. Some people, anyway, it's, <laughs> it's taking more Very time. Very free form. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's much easier when you're just in the building with them. <laughs> you right. can go find them. And say, hey, let's do this now. But um, oh, I lost my train of thought. What were, <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> Uh, I was just uh, saying, oh, oh, where can people find you? What are you doing? You know, oh. can we get, go to your website or how do we see what you're doing? The clearinghouse place to find all my work is jdstillwater.com. And I haven't updated it very recently. Um, but from there, there are links to all my other work. Um, but if you're specifically an, interested in Seven Candles and Science and Spirituality, I'm on Facebook for Seven Candles. I think if you type Seven Candles, you should find it pretty easily. Um, but then sevencandles.org is the website. And it also hasn't seen much in a while, but there is a link there to my YouTube channel where I post all of my more recent talks. And for the last several years, that's mostly been sermons, um, sermons and talks in generally progressive churches. Um, okay. So I'm doing a lot more of that than the hour-long Seven Candles presentation recently. Great. And I will, uh, we'll get that up on the Leftscape website too. Make oh, sure cool. people can find right. you. Yeah. So would you like to share a poem? With sure. Us? This yeah. is one, well, another, a little bit of background. Um, I was gung-ho seven candles up until last summer when something clicked. Mostly I think it was the fact that the Amazon and Australia and the Arctic were all on fire, millions and millions of acres. And I started thinking, you know, am I spending my time the way I should be, given that we're in a climate crisis. You know, it's, I wondered if maybe I should drop everything and just become a climate activist. And in speaking about it and writing about it and talking with other people, um, I realized that, no, we need everybody to use whatever talents they have. Firefighting isn't a metaphorical firefighting, isn't a singular skill. We, if it's a wildfire, we need pilots and radio communicators. And anyway, um, we need poets and journalists and teachers and all of that in a crisis, especially a really big sort of long-term crisis like this one. So I didn't quit my job and become a full-time activist, but I did pivot a bit to spending a lot more time talking about the climate crisis, especially what science has to offer us and the, the morality involved in the climate crisis. So this poem I'm about to read is related to that, but it's also, um, I think, also topical now. It's called Long After. No child we knew before the rise, before the fire, before the plague, before the war, we knew. Hard to believe we could know and not do, but we knew. Hmm. Want another one about the climate? situation sure sure yeah okay <laughs> right. i think that was good but we'll do one more <laughs> well maybe that was a better one to end on this was called enviroparalysis and uh, you'll see what kind of mood i was in but when i wrote it i sent it to my daughter and she she wrote back great poem dad but wtf <laughs> <laughs> anyway enviroparalysis my house is on fire 
flames through every window. My children are inside, though not yet screaming. My panic rises slowly, oh so slowly, in my liver. My eyes focus downward on the hose, on the bucket. My mind barely registers the tiny toy fire trucks. My back is inconveniently cold, even as my face is burning. My hand grasps a small lump of coal I salvaged on my way out. My arm throws it on the fire because my back is still cold. My children begin to scream from inside the conflagration. My indignation, indignation flares at their selfish naivete. My God, do they think I am responsible for this fire? My leg kicks the empty bucket in a tantrum of frustration. My soul sinks into the soil, my sacred soil, like an oil spill. Hmm. It's not a real positive, uplifting <laughs> way to end. But, you know, we mastered this, this pandemic thing, the whole flattening the curve thing, in a few days' time. People really understand about flattening the curve. Well, we have the exact same curve with climate change. Every, every indicator of environmental damage is exponential right now. And the only thing that's going to flatten the environmental destruction curve is if we all do less, buy less. And yet it's so hard to do. Why is it so hard to do? The sermon I'm delivering for the Unitarian Church of York tomorrow is all about that, about using the lessons of this pandemic to make a difference, to, to not go back to business as usual like it was a month ago, which was a race to the bottom of a pit of death and destruction. Let's slow down. Let's rethink. Let's and we, do something different. Yeah, we have an opportunity to sit and think about what we've done <laughs> yeah. and, and do something better. Less. To less. Do less. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Spend more time with family or our chosen, you know, our, whatever family it is that we most want to be with. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you for a lot, a lot to think about. And uh, I really appreciate having you on the show. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. This has been a lot of fun. Hi, Wendy here, letting you know that I'm making masks to assist you in your social distancing while you're outside. I'm using my weird and wacky quilting fabric that I've been hoarding for years so you can let your geek flag fly while protecting yourself and your community while you shop for essentials or walk your dog. Check out my Facebook page, Wendy Cards, for current availability. Proceeds from mask sales help support donations of masks to hospitals and first responders. That's facebook.com slash Wendy Cards, W-E-N-D-Y-C-A-R-D-S. And thank you. Oh.
Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrenee.com. And my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash Fan. Tweet at me at Spirit Rock Sexy and follow me on Instagram at Robin Renee Music. I would love to hear from you. So let's look at the positive. What kind of opportunities and challenges are there in this whole ship show that's going on in the world? Um. Yeah, it's some businesses, I guess it all, this is a, while we're under quarantine, while everything is shut down, there are certainly a huge amount of of challenges for business and there are opportunities. The food delivery people are working hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. Um, And, uh, you know, and it's also, there's, there's and and that's a mixed bag, you know. If you feel comfortable being out, and even if you don't, if you you know, and that's another thing that is upsetting. It's like the the essential worker delineation. I mean, a lot of those jobs are low paid and and they're dangerous because you're being exposed every day to the general public who may or may not be sick. And that I find that to be problematic, but for, for like the independent business person, I have a friend who's a massage therapist and actually I have several friends who are massage therapists and they, they're having a very difficult time because, you know, the, the federal assistance for small business got sucked up by businesses that aren't really small businesses. So, you know, independent workers and freelancers are really getting screwed. You know, because the you know, for, like massage therapists haven't had any income for two months now in New mm-hmm. Jersey, at least, and right. you know, and they're looking, they're not, lo- you know, they're looking out at the timeline, and they're they're thinking, you know, they're not going to be able to to work for a year, and what are they going to do? You mm. know, well, um, what kind of opportunities are there for them? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's they kind of have to pivot. That's what I did. That's what uh, I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. It's like. The Ikigai segment is really all about finding that balance, that sweet spot balance of between right. all the elements in your life to define your work, you know, and it's hard in a situation where some of what we, a lot of people are doing things out of necessity. Some people don't have a lot of choice, like what you're talking about, Wendy, you know, yeah. for essential people. And some of us have a weird kind of time out where we can kind of reassess some things and maybe make changes. Maybe some of what we're doing works really well. Maybe some of it is not working well at all. What can we do to mm-hmm. make those changes? You know, yeah, I, I, and I did, I pivoted and honestly, if you're looking at the, the Venn diagram for the Ikigai stuff, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm talking, it's the mask making it's it. Cause I am, I am selling them. I'm giving a lot of them away. I probably donate half of what I make, but the other half I sell and that's the sales of that help support the, uh, the donation ones. However, I'm also 
I'm also meeting my freaking numbers that I needed to meet this year. So, and, and this was the, the one part of the Venn diagram that I never felt that I really met, which was the benefit to the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's of a benefit to the world, to people other than myself, or it's not, you know, like I, I keep thinking. And what are the uh, four again? The four. Yeah, uh, review it, those. It's the, it's the intersection of what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for and what you're good at. Yeah. So honest, honestly, uh, mask making is, is an ikigai spot for me. Because mm-hmm. I, well, I don't, okay. I don't love it. I like it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. it's almost it's like i can always get three i can never get that fourth one um it's pretty close though if it's something it's, that you do it's enjoy the, to some level it's the closest i've gotten because it it's what the world needs right now and i can be paid for it and i'm good at it so yeah so yay i've i've made <laughs> not where i wanted to be with my guy. <laughs> it's a surprising thing though right you know for me, I was really giving a lot of thought to that concept and was really discovering some things that are very much in my wheelhouse between well, music and certain party planning things <laughs> are really feel, felt like, um, yeah, I'm finding what I, what I really want to do and what feels right in some ways. And then like everything, all of a sudden, like those things have to do with being with people. And that's not a thing right now, you know, so yeah. that's been a kind of a strange, strange feeling and, and less, less upsetting than you might imagine. I mean, it has been like not being able to travel is, has been painful to me to, to be apart from people. But I think it, because the whole experience is so monumentous worldwide, it's not, it doesn't feel as like some kind of personal tragedy. It feels just kind of like, wow, Okay. Things are not what I imagined. So what what now, you know? And I'm discovering, like, things online are actually pretty interesting. I did a mini concert for an Earth Day celebration this weekend. Yeah. On, and that's it's still there on Facebook, right? On your Robin. Yeah, it's, it's, on my, it's on my Facebook fan page. Facebook.com slash Robin Renee fan. But it's also, and it's also, the sound is terrible because... <laughs> I'm learning how to get set up for that, which is part of what I'm saying is that it was cool to discover that it feels really good to do a performance that way with okay. you know, relearning how to do it without an immediate audience feedback. But I can see, you can see the little hearts going up as people are watching and things like that, but I couldn't really respond in real time to right. comments. Well, it's not like it's something that I can adapt to and, and even stay on track in a different way if I want to present going from a song to a poem to some kind of whatever, you know, it's, it, it felt, it felt okay. And it felt like, yeah, I want to do more of this. And you actually, I can actually reach more people in the immediate than I would if I were in some cafe where five people show up, you know, because a lot more people from different areas can see something that way. So that's a thought. And I did, someone did ask, what are you going to do? Are you going to do some Kirtan? on Zoom or Facebook or something. And I thought, I thought, yeah, I should do that. So that's something I'm learning about. And I think it's possible to explore all kinds of ways to connect with people online. And and maybe there are other things that I haven't 
given a lot enough of attention to like voiceover and recording things for soundtrack or other uses, you know, mm-hmm. which I've always telling myself, oh, I should do this or I need to work on that. Uh, definitely, you know, website stuff to just present better. Mm-hmm. Or so, writing jingles. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Or or just even finding uses where I, I'm not I'm not a musician who's opposed to having my music used for non-original purposes, you know. So if it's not something that's horribly offensive, I mean, I, I think having music in soundtracks and other other places is uh, that's a good thing that's the way people live you know yeah well as, a, as an artist so I've been definitely working toward you know doing pivoting more into those sorts of things and and getting the equipment that facilitates that so that's really what I'm researching and looking into yeah I'm wondering how much of this is going to survive the this year you know maybe people will be more willing to pay for a remote concert experience you mm-hmm. know not and not a lot of money you know like like micro payments but it you know if you get enough people it actually turns into a, a livable income stream mm-hmm. for a musician it would be nice to have you know a platform other than facebook to to do this on you know, it's having having everything, and it all feels like it's just this one monolithic. I mean, I know there's Twitter and there's other and Instagram, and I know Instagram mm-hmm. is starting to do videos and and uh, TikTok is all these other things, and I'm not keeping up because you know I'm over sixty and that's not I am not the demographic. I hear about a lot of this stuff through my ch- children. So, because <laughs> like they are, you know, they're on YouTube, they're on TikTok and Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat actually kind of not as, as much of a thing anymore. They're not into that anymore. That's kind of that's how old I am. Yeah, see, Snapchat's like you know five years okay. ago. Okay. The um the guys that originated Yacht Rock are doing. They have a Yacht Rock channel on Discord now. Okay, yeah, Discord is another place, and I'm loving that. Like they do a live set like live DJ set like at 10 oh, o'clock wow. every night uh, our time and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's a platform. I'm not cra- I'm not crazy about it in some ways, but it's been good to get on it because of them and just, and right. see potential in it. Yeah. It's another stream. It's another streaming thing that really was started for gamers and, you know, and other people are using it as well because it's a way to broadcast video to a lot of an audience live. Mm-hmm. and twitch there oh, it is right yeah, twitch. i think we're gonna have our co- our contest on there eventually maybe what our our acronym contest oh, or something? okay oh, oh the game show you mean a oh, game show yeah yeah <laughs> but anyway <laughs> some of the contestants besides me yeah yeah <laughs> i'll work on it so another thing that i've discovered which you know i've known about forever and just haven't really gotten to are like networking groups. There's one net re- networking group that I've known about for a long time that's met in Maryland that I, you know, I, I'm not, unless I'm down there occasionally in that area, like I thought, well, maybe I'll go to it. And I never have. And now not only is it like a monthly thing, but it's now a weekly meetup online. And oh, wow. it's been, I went to the first one and, you know, the first one I got to attend and it is really worthwhile. And it's kind of meeting entrepreneurs and just hearing about what they're doing and how they're adapting. And 
there's always like cross pollination. Like I think I will that this particular group, I'm, you know, maybe there will be guests that wind up being on our show because of someone I meet and talk to. And there's a lot of opportunity for meeting and connecting with people and collaborating over more distance. Because I think in the past I was thinking, well, who in my neighborhood or who in Philadelphia could I work with on X, you know? Whereas now it's like, oh, you know, actually I could meet someone from anywhere and there are just more ideas that are coming to the fore, I think. So that's that's a positive yeah. for me. I haven't really found a positive yet. Uh, I'm teaching my classes at the university online. They kind of pushed us all to doing this online and it's had a learning curve in it. I, at, at first I was thinking, this is really cool. This is, we're finally going to um, test out these systems that have been in place that we've never used before and see if we can be in the wave of the future and learn things online. But doing it is kind of hair raising. And I realized that I do miss being in the room with the students and seeing them and getting the real feedback in real time. So I, I, I haven't found anything I can use yet. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's hard. I, I, I hear you with the being in a space with actual people. <laughs> that is yeah, and, and some that's of the, the students, individuals, they're, uh, some of them are taking it very badly too. And, and I, I don't have enough personal dealing with them to to get them to feel better about what's going on, you know, and it makes me feel sad. Yeah, I think uh, we're all still processing. I feel like at, even long after we're back to some semblance of communing, it will be, there's still a lot to process. You know, I yeah. think I'm in a still, I mean, I'm not in, in as much of a state of shock as I was, but that experience of shock mm. is still in there that needs to be released and processed and yeah you know I think too that the students that I'm dealing with they're looking at their life and they're saying there's all this stuff I can't do that and they're thinking about proms and graduations and things that are going to be missed and it's kind of depressing for them Mm. yeah I could. So, so we have to come up with an online way that they can do this. And I, I think it could be done. Just prom. Yeah. There was an online by Pride this weekend <laughs> where people dressed up and did, you know, just had discussions and talks and could, everyone could see, you know, see each other. I didn't go, I didn't, I saw a few of the, you know, little footage of it, but people are adapting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we're going to, talk on patreon this month towards the end of the month obviously about what kind of world we would like coming out of this Mm. so if you haven't signed up for patreon now is a good time it's as little as what is our entry level is it a dollar one little dollar one little dollar a month (laughs) and you can hear us talk even more and that, (laughs) that really helps us that really helps us going yes Yes. Thank you so much for our patrons. 